People don't say smooth anymore. Like, I haven't heard that in forever. Well, I, oh. I, I thought I'd bring it old school back. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying. Hello? Hello. Uh, Priest, you there? Hey. I there he is. By popular demand. Adam, can, can I say that this is probably the most downloaded interview we've ever done? Yeah. The last interview that we did with you, uh, we broke it into two parts. And it is constantly being uh, requested. It is downloaded at least twice a week, I would say. And wow. uh, it is definitely by far the most listens we've ever had to any show that we've ever posted is that, that first uh, one and two part of the day with <laughs> Well, you. check the IP addresses. Make sure it's not just me. <laughs> now, now, Priest, let me tell you, if that's not impressive enough, let me tell you who you're against. Neil Adams, Marv Wolfman, Kurt Busick, Brent Anderson, uh, Tom Brevoort wow. even. None of them have even come close. Wow. I will definitely go on record as saying that uh, it is the subject of envy from other uh, podcasts and and, uh, interviewers that I've run into, especially at comic shows. They're like, you got Christopher Priest. (laughs) (laughs) Are you making it clear that it's, it's, it's not the British guy? (laughs) Uh, i will i will admit that many of the hits to the show not the downloads but the actual the search engine hits are looking for uh that movie priest yeah yeah my my website gets a lot of traffic for him yeah and what i decided to do i had offered him you know we were corresponding back and forth by email and i offered mr priest the uh christopherpriest.com domain but he would he rather register the christopherpriest.co.uk whatever the whatever the united (laughs) kingdom version of .com is so he registered that one but you know i put up a you know a which way switch on my website so that I wouldn't have these angry people <laughs> arriving at my website looking for him. So when you go to ChristopherPriest.com, you have to choose which Christopher Priest you're looking for. And if you're looking for him, it redirects you over to his site. Oh, nicely played. You should cover that page with ads. <laughs> <laughs> Make a little extra money off I hadn't even thought of that. Wow, that's kind of, you know what, that's, that's tell you that also um i guess about a year or two ago i was kind of playing around with uh kind of selling our old archive shows instead of keeping them hosted and having them up and i never really followed through with it but one of the ones that i was kind of testing it out with just to see how it would work was with i think part two of the interview we did with you and i thought like i turned it off but like once every five six months i get an email from somebody who bought that show even though it's perfectly live and free on our website, they somehow still click that link to buy it. <laughs> wow! wow. <laughs> I, 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 I part too. I, I don't remember. Is that the part where I was saying like, you know, all white people hate me? You know, <laughs> you know, getting into the, that is the part the I remember. Rant, sir. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's to the point now where I wear our dollar bin shirt every time I go to the comic conventions, and the only it was probably six months after we did the show, this guy in full Joker makeup. Sees it, just looks at me and goes, priest. 
Freak, no, I'm not kidding. Freak me out and gave me the thumbs up and they just kept walking. He knew. <laughs> it's really funny because I got to tell you, there are times when I completely forget this part of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in very different things these days. And, you know, I walked into a bank, I think, about two or three months ago, and uh, I was talking to the bank manager down there, and I was, uh, well, okay, I was cashing a check. And he looks at the check, and he goes, <laughs> it's, you know, it's from a comic book company, you know, and he's like, oh, you, you do work for a comic book company? And I go, yeah, and, and then he puts the name together, and then he goes, oh, wow, you got to meet my brother-in-law. He's like your biggest fan. And and now <laughs> I'm, I'm going, I didn't know I had fans. I mean, how can I have fans? I haven't written anything in God knows how long. It's very strange to me when, it, when that happens. But at the same time, it's delightful. And, you know, I'm certainly grateful for it and, you know, flattered. But, yeah, there are times when I just completely forget because I'm out here in Mayberry RFD where nobody <laughs> knows who I am and nobody really cares. I'm just that guy, that annoying creature that gets on their nerves. So that's, that's it's a whole different flavor out here. Well, let, let me ask the first question then. I mean, you kind of opened it up. It's been, oh, my God, I think Adam figured up almost three years since the last time we talked. And uh, so what have you been up to in the last three years? Absolutely nothing, you know, or at least I should say nothing that is in any way relevant to the comic book business. I do a lot of work in ministry. I do design work and uh, build websites for churches and ministries, which doesn't pay a whole lot, a lot, but it's a very rewarding, satisfying thing to do. Basically, what I do is I come alongside churches and pastors that are involved in outreach and involved in different areas of ministry. And I help them with their branding, and I help them with to kind of get their message out, and that's pretty much it. And you know, I also do a little a little bit with small business on the side, but my main focus has been the ministry and 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 working in in those areas. So it's a it's it's just been a rapid departure from writing. And in fact, when I started doing the the Quantum and Woody miniseries, I had really forgotten just how hard it is to come up with an original storyline and evolve it over, you know, a, a set number of issues and develop the characters and all that stuff. You know, so for like three months, I'm walking around my house day and night <laughs> thinking about nothing but Quantum and Woody and, and how to solve this problem or how to fix this or how to move the story forward. And it, at some point I stopped and I said, yeah, this is what writing comics was like. Because I, I used to do that all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what I was doing, I, you know, I'm only halfway functional I'm sitting somewhere with my wife and I'm only halfway functional with her because the other half of my brain is still trying to solve some problem for Conan or Power Man and Iron Fist or whoever the heck I was writing at the time. <laughs> so it, it really has been a long time since I've done that and certainly a long time since I've done that with any kind of deadline. It's kind of like trying to get yourself back into shape after you know being out of the gym for a long time. So what did you do to get yourself back into shape? Did you, uh, How did you get back into the swing of things? You know, um, I think I just started arguing with Mark Bright. That usually does it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mark and I have been friends for 25 years, and Quantum and Woody is very much based on our relationship. (laughs) Now, some sometimes he's Eric, and sometimes he's Woody. Most most of the Woody stuff comes from Mark because Mark has that cynical sense of humor and he hates everything I do and mocks everything I do. (laughs) So a lot of that energy, I'm not saying that I base Woody on him per se, but a lot of that energy, that dynamic will come from Mark. While I'll tend to 
overthink everything and plot really tightly and really sweat the details. So more often than not, I'll end up being Eric and, and the Woody energy will come from Mark. But getting back into this was actually pretty simple. It was, it was like putting on a pair of old shoes that have been broken in and they're comfortable and they fit your foot and, you know, and you've been through something in them. So, you know, Mark and I just kind of picked up where we left off in terms of, you know, our working relationship. And that, that was a big help. And then, uh, once we kind of got the idea for the series beyond just, okay, we're doing a Quantum and Woody story. You know, I, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't want to compete with the new book, which is a very different animal, has a very different vibe to it. You know, so I didn't want to just come back and do what we did at Acclaim. But once we kind of figured out, all right, we're going to move that forward 20 years. And now there's a new Quantum and a new Woody. And, you know, there are these generational issues and put Eric and Woody through the same things that Mark and I are going through in terms of the aging process. And this is what we're going, you know, the characters are going through what Mark and I are going through. We are dealing with the upper levels of middle age to the point where it's, it's almost an embarrassment to call it middle age. We're, we're just old. <laughs> and, uh, and that became a challenge that became interesting. And, and throughout the writing process, it's, it, or at least the plotting process until we got it all nailed down, it was a 24 hour job. I would kind of, you know, I lay down at night and I'm still thinking about it. And I wake up in the morning and I go, aha, you make it a camel. It's a camel. And I run downstairs <laughs> and I write the camel and, you know, and I tell Mark about it. He hates it, you know, and, and you know, and we go from there. So that that's kind of how that you know, how that process worked. We just kind of picked it up from where it was. But to people who either aspire to be a writer or aspire to be the artist, I just want to put it out there: writing is really hard. And if you don't believe me, just have somebody hold a loaded gun to your head, right to your temple, and say, "Write me a Batman story that we've never read before." <laughs> a completely original 22-page story and get it done by Thursday or I'm going to blow your brains out. That's what comic book writing is like. It's a lot harder than it looks. That, that sounds awful. <laughs> it's equal parts awful and rewarding. It becomes awful when you're doing it month in and month out unless you're working with a, a, a guy like Brevoort who's a very strong story editor who can really help you with story. Not take it over, not kick you, you know, kick you in the shins, but Tom really can kind of reach in while I'm stuttering and trying to figure stuff out and go, okay, what, what you're saying is uh, uh, Professor, Professor... You know, Professor Mustard in the in the library with the wrench. You know, yes, yes, that's exactly it. You crystallized my thoughts exactly. You know, and that's what that's what working with Tom is like. But it is a, it is a struggle, and it, you know, as soon as you turn that script in, maybe you have a few days off, but you realize you got to start all over again because it's a monthly book, and, and they're looking for another one. So it can be just to do it right, to do it with integrity, to to really take it seriously. It's it's a whole whole bunch of work and this thing was a whole 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 bunch of work it, it, it's so you know I, I haven't worked this hard in a very long time and i put a lot a lot of time a lot of energy into the story because a lot of people will be looking at it for a bunch of different reasons and mark and i really wanted to hit it out the park i'm keeping my fingers crossed i mean a lot can go wrong between every film that you've ever seen has started out to be gone with the wind or the godfather but some of them just end up being terrible. And, 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 and somewhere along the way, there's all these hands on it, and there's all these people looking at it, there's all these people changing things. So at somewhere along the way, something went wrong. So everything starts with the best of intentions, and so far, so good. We're all very excited about it. We're very enthusiastic about it. We're very invested in what we're doing. 
all I can do at this point is kind of, you know, release the baby down the river because Mark is it's in Mark's hands now and and then it'll move on to the colorists and the letterer and whoever else is doing what they're doing their part. And we just uh, certainly hope uh, we have a, a really good product next year that'll be worth at least some of the, the hype that's going on behind it. Let me ask this then, because I know that uh, when we talked last time, there was no plans with Quantum and Woody. You didn't know what the plans were. You didn't know what the uh, who even really owned all the rights and everything like that. Can you tell me how kind of all that got cleared up? And unless you've got a better story, we're going to go ahead and take credit for all that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was absolutely you guys. Thank you very much. So you made the call. We created uh, this that right up. Um, I, I can tell you that the main thing that I think went wrong with the whole rights thing is that when this thing ended up in bankruptcy court, Mark and I were really not in contact. He was off doing whatever he was doing. I was chasing a bumblebee or whatever I was doing, but I was getting all this mail from the court. And I couldn't decipher a word of it, and I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. But truth be told, questions of the rights and so forth really should have been addressed to the court during that whole process where that input was solicited. I can't be terribly specific about resolutions and so forth, except to say that at this moment, at this time that we're speaking, there are no concerns about those issues, and our concerns were addressed by a claim. I'm sorry, I'm going to do this all night, by Valiant. (laughs) They're Valiant now. Our concerns were addressed by Valiant, and I'm comfortable that they have really bent over backwards to deal with this and to resolve those issues. You know, so now I'm a politician. I'm saying nothing, you know, but <laughs> except that it's okay yeah. now. Yeah. So I'd rather you guys just took credit for it because that's, that's a better answer, I think. Well, I, you know, also when, when I first saw that Valiant was going to be doing Quantum and Woody and I saw that it did not say Christopher Priest in the credits, I kind of, I wasn't really interested in it. And I've, I've pretty much been picking up all the Valiant stuff and uh, I did not pick up Quantum and Woody. A lot of it had to do with the fact that it didn't say Christopher Priest in the credits. And then, uh, you know, a couple months later, all of a sudden you guys have your book coming out, your miniseries. And I got really excited about that. Yeah, it was, and I also take was, credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, won't you be disappointed. But you know what? Uh, 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 there had been talk about, you know, uh, relaunching Quantum Woody for quite a while. I think at some point, of trying to be helpful without insulting people, and then I'll get, like, email tomorrow. (laughs) I knew that they wanted to do it. There had been some correspondence back and forth between Valiant and myself, but at some point I kind of felt like we weren't getting anywhere in terms of the discussions that I wanted to have with them. That that was not... There were discussions I wanted to have and discussions they wanted to have. They wanted to talk about creative issues. I wanted to talk about other issues. And they did not seem at that time... We're talking, like, two, three years ago... They were not at that time engaged in having a conversation about having the conversation that I wanted. How's that for an answer? Yeah. So there was no interest on my part in resuming work on Quantum and Woody or even being considered for the monthly, mainly because, in my opinion, we were not having the right conversation. Skip ahead two or three years, and there was a new round of interest, and they were, and the company was reaching out to me. And I want to be honest with you, I just wasn't returning their emails or answering their phone calls. I, I just, why? You know, why? You know, another round of nothing, you know. So what I did is I called up Mark, and I said, you know, I've been talking to these guys off and on for five years now. 
your turn. So, you know, I passed the ball, you know, over the net to Mark. And you know what? Uh, He's just smarter and brighter, (laughs) pardon the pun, you know, Um, uh, and just more intuitive. And my gosh, Mark got on the phone with these folks and and he he went back and forth with them. And then he got in his car and he drove into New York and sat down and talked with them. And they were very gracious. And Mark made the deal happen. I'm pulling no punches here. And he called me back and he said, "Okay, yeah, there's a good conversation. It's still not the one you want to have, but it's better than the one you would have had. Let's talk about it. So I didn't even even become engaged until Mark really went four or five rounds with the guys, and then Mark, you know, kind of pulled me in and said, you know, no, they're, they're, you know, we can have a productive discussion with them. And sure enough, he was right. So uh, I give all the credit to Mark. If it wasn't for Mark, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't wow. be doing it. You've kind of touched on what brought you you guys back to Quantum and Woody uh, specifically, but I, you know, I was kind of wondering how you got the. I don't know the spark or the impetus or, or whatever you want to call it to actually come back to comics. Cause I mean, like you said earlier, when we spoke to you a few years ago, you know, you had already kind of been out of the game per se, you know, I'm just interested in, in what brought you back to comics in general. What, what, what made you want to come back to that? Well, it's really simple and I don't mean to be flip, but it's kind of like somebody finally offered me something that I actually wanted to do rerunning or reprising a conversation I'm sure we had, because I'm sure I I said this already at some point. (laughs) Here's how this works. Every so often, I'd get a call from some publisher, either one of the major publishers or one of the independents. I'd get a call, and they'd go, hey, we got this great idea. We want you to do the new Black Mambo. And I'd go, "Eh, I'm not really too into the new Black Mambo. But look, here's these five things that I'd like to do. You know, order off the menu. I'd love to do one of these things. And here's some original ideas, and here's some property that you own that I might like to play with. And they'd go over my list, and they go, eh, we're not so crazy about this. How about New Black Mambo? You know, um, so we kind of <laughs> oh, go man. around, and, and like, you know, they'd have stuff that they want, that they would think I would be a good fit for. I would have things that I would want to do. They wouldn't want to do what I want to do. I wouldn't want to do what they want to do. And we sort of go, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll check in with you, you know, and we'd hang up and... You know, and 18 months later, we do the dance again. So that's kind of, I don't really feel like I ever left comics or even so much lost interest in comics. I think I kind of got burnt out, which is fair. You know, after Captain America and the Falcon, you know, it's just a rapid succession of cancellations. And the industry was kind of shrinking at the time. And and they were just canceling not just my books, but canceling entire lines wholesale, just, you know, slaughterhouse going on. So at some point, I know I just got completely tired of that. And just kind of fell in love with prose writing and would rather do prose writing and probably still would rather do prose writing than comic book writing. So I know that part is true, but I've always been available if someone wanted to talk to me about something that actually would interest me. And particularly if someone wanted to talk to me about something or a project that had nothing to do with my ethnicity. So uh, in, in terms of Quantum and Woody, I assure you that Valiant did not you know, invite me back to the book because I'm a black guy. They they invited me back because of whatever voice I brought to the party with that book. And also to just go back and address the new monthly, the acclaimed book was a very personal statement. It was very much honest to goshness, our relationship, Mark's and my relationship. You know, you know, we're two friends, old friends who love each other, who just can't get along. And it's just, you know, our snarky personalities. You know, so that book was a very personal statement. I would not want or expect someone else to come in and kind of channel Mark Bright and Christopher Priest. I would want them to have their own vision, their own voice, their own take on the concept, 
in many ways, I'm, I'm quite pleased that the new guys, and I should be sitting here with their names. I'm so sorry. This is really embarrassing that, I, that off the top of my head, I forgot the guys' names. Uh, James Asmus and Tom Fowler. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm really happy that they have kind of got their own take on the thing. As I would expect, I mean, if we ever had a, a Quantum Woody TV show or a Quantum Woody movie, I would certainly expect it to bear some major structural changes, just like the Marvel characters are changed in major ways when they make that transition. So this is a new vision, and it's their thing, and it's more comedy-based, whereas Marx and my Quantum Woody, we never thought of it as a comedy book or as a funny, quote-unquote, funny book. It was just a, a superhero buddy book. It was an action-adventure book, and the humor came out of the situations in a natural way. You know, we never had, like, a silly villain who was, right. you know, in a silly hideout doing silly things, you know, with all this over-the-top stuff. Virtually all of our situations were really not a whole lot different from Power Man and Iron Fist or any other, you know, superhero duo book. What made it funny, I think, was just if we were writing The Avengers, we really wouldn't be allowed so much to stop and point out the absurdities, you know, <laughs> that go on in the Justice League or in The Avengers. Uh, although Keith Giffen did that quite well, actually, now that I think of it, with the Justice League. So with Quantum and Woody, and our our take on Quantum and Woody, you know, our miniseries will, will be at least two-thirds less funny than the monthly <laughs> series because we... We don't see it as a funny book. So you'll get through issue one with hardly a chuckle and go, what happened? You know, they forgot how to write these guys, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, the humor is coming. But at no point did I ever, either at acclaim or now at Valiant, at no point did I ever sit down and say, how can I make this funny? I would sit down and go, what story do we want to tell? And what's an interesting way to tell it? And the humor would largely come to light during the scripting phase, because as we're writing it or as Mark's drawing it, it would become apparent, like, you know, okay, this bit of business is pretty absurd. And if there's an opportunity for Woody, particularly Woody, to point that out, he's going to do it. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a difference there, but I, I think it's a good difference. And I think that this way, hopefully... Our books will not compete with the monthly series, but will add a, a different dimension and a different flavor. You know, at the end of our series, everybody dies. So, you know, no, I'm not I'm kidding. I, yeah. uh, Spoilers. Spoilers. But, you know, but at the end, you know, you know, it, hopefully, you know, we're we're bringing something to the party and not just coming in and, and kind of stepping on toes or trying to force our vision onto uh, what they're doing. Of course, at some point, Woody does have to kind of break that fourth wall and subtly mock the new monthly. Um, <laughs> which Mark strongly objected to, of course. <laughs> you know, every classic bit in the Acclaim book, uh, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before as well, every classic bit that anyone can remember or recall from the Acclaim book, Mark thought it was stupid and drew it under protest. You know, like the goat. He couldn't stand the goat. And uh, uh, the bit where, where Quantum jumps out the window and Woody takes the elevator, he thought that was really stupid. And that was another hour on the phone listening to Mark tell me how stupid that was. You know, so that's kind of how I figure out what's funny and what's not by, you know, how much Mark hates it. Then I go, I'm on to something here because he really hates this. How much did he hate them switching bodies and having to go to the bathroom? Because that was the funniest I'm, thing uh, I've ever done. You know, I'm trying to recall. I want to be as honest about it as possible. <laughs> I'm, I, I am quite comfortable that he did not like it and that he thought, 
okay, now this is just way too over the top. You, now you're just being silly, you know? <laughs> and uh, to a certain extent, he was right. But to a certain extent, I'm like, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> 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 I mean... Well, 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 you know, I don't, again, I don't know if I told you the story, but you know, Mark and I are going to argue one way or another anyway, so why not tell stories? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the whole switch arc, the gag was supposed to be the, uh, at least the first chapter, once they've switched bodies, that might, so that might be chapter two, because they switch bodies at the end of the first chapter of the arc. Mark and I were supposed to switch. He was supposed to write it, and I was supposed to draw it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So I actually turned in the cover, and Mark was going to ink it, and Mark saw the cover and became enraged, you know, and he calls me up, and he's just hollering at me over the phone for about an hour and a half. And I can't for the life of me understand what he's upset about, and he's talking about that, you know, well, the drawing is bad. And I go, yeah, that, that's kind of the idea, you know. Uh, but it, it wasn't, fellas, it really wasn't bad enough, and I think that was really what was maybe what was bothering him. Now, Mark is a very capable writer. Mark could write this book on his own if he wants to. I've read his writing. I've enjoyed his writing. I started out in the business as an artist. And then one day at Marvel, Joe Rubenstein wandered through the bullpen and I was sitting at the drawing table. I was drawing, I don't know, Iron Man or whatever heck I was drawing. And he looks over my shoulder and he goes, hmm, stick to writing. <laughs> Honest. In fact, in fact, I'm sitting in my in, in my family room where there's a, a a big color portrait of Joe Rubenstein hanging over my fireplace, and it's like I'm, I'm not kidding. It's a self portrait that he painted in oils, and uh, I, I had a I had a uh, like a lithograph made of it at Marvel like 20 years ago, and and uh, Adam Blaustein, the late uh, or Maddie Blaustein, who passed away uh, a few years back framed it with Batty was Adam. Adam used to work at a frame sh framing shop around the corner from Marvel. So uh, Joe lent me the painting. I had it duplicated. Uh, uh, Adam framed it for me, and it's been hanging over my uh, fireplace ever since. So I'm under the watchful eye of Joseph Rubenstein, <laughs> uh, who is the guy who, who, who convinced me that I was never going to make it as an artist, but he liked my writing quite a bit. Joe is Joe is a lot of That's fun to hang story. out with. I got to uh, hang out with him for about an afternoon and have lunch and all that. And uh, the man has knows where a lot of skeletons are buried. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my God! The the stories that he would tell me and then go, but you can't tell anybody about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really shocked that he had lunch with you, Joe. Joe, used to, Joe's changed a lot. He's actually, I think, kind of even mellowed a lot. But back in the day, he was fairly obnoxious and, in some ways, a little bit unlikable. But he was so talented that back in the day, he was like, you know, next to Dick Giordano, he was like the premier inker in in mainstream comics. So, uh, you know, he wasn't a guy you wanted to, you know, to tick off. But I was like a high school intern and working in a bullpen, and John Romita Jr. was the key operator of the Xerox machine, so he was glad to see me coming because he passed the key on to me. <laughs> and uh, whenever I wasn't making Xeroxes or fetching coffee or something, I was at a desk drawing. So back to the quantum Woody switch thing, I was perfectly comfortable to draw. Well, I was going to draw like 10 pages. I wasn't, wasn't going to draw the whole book because who's going to pay for that, for crying out loud? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it never happened because Mark thought it was stupid, and I just threw my hands up and said, okay. The other thing we were going to do is we were going to record Woody's song, Medicine Woman. I actually wrote that. There's an actual song. We're musicians, Mark and I, so I was going to record it. At the time, I had a music studio in my house. Joe Casada was going to sing lead. Well, I was going to get Joe Casada 
the Sing League. He doesn't know this, you know, but I was going to make jokes about the Sing League. He wasn't the editor in chief at that time, by the way. He was just Marvel Knights guy, you know. But Joe Casada, whether what people may or may not know, is he uh, he's a rock and roll guy. He, he yeah. used to have a, a rock and roll band. He is an amazing singer. He has a wonderful voice. And I think he plays guitar as well. So uh, Larry Hama plays guitar. There's a bunch of guys in comics who are also musicians. So we were going to put together this this headbanger Medicine Woman song and record it. And I spoke to the guys over at, uh, they're now Dynamite Comics. Okay. Uh, so I spoke to those guys over there. At the time, they were like a direct marketing thing. And I talked them into financing the thing. And they said, well, if you're going to do it, we'll pay for the CD duplication if we can put our branding on it and put our catalog on it. And I said, sold, you know, cool. <laughs> and I spoke to Acclaim and Fabian loved the idea and the editor loved the idea and everything was cool. And we're set to rock and roll, except... Mark thought it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I was like, well, we could do it without Mark, but you know what? If we're going to do it without Mark, then why why do it? Because uh, I was going to record part of it here, send it to New York, and uh, Joe would lay down his vocals, and then uh, uh, once we had it all together, Mark would uh, come in and, and lay his bass. He plays bass and uh, mm. lay down his bass lines. But uh, there are just times when I just can't fight him, and I just throw my hands up, and I go, well, never mind, and... So uh, I've repitched the whole Medicine Woman song thing to Valiant. So far, I'm hearing crickets. They haven't said no. They haven't said yes. It won't cost them anything if we find a sponsor willing to pay for the uh, the CD duplication. And I don't know. You know, if you if you had a graphic, see the thing about graphic novels. You know, if you a miniseries and then you collect it, which seems to be the pattern now. The fans know that you're going to collect this thing down the road. So yeah. do they skip the miniseries yep. and starve the publisher of, of the revenue so they can't even produce the miniseries? You know, or do they buy the miniseries and then they skip the collected edition because we already got that? Yeah. So I figured, well, if you're going to do a collected edition, let's put something in it. Let's do the bonus thing, free toaster. Let's do something in it. And I figured, like, you know, Mark Bright and Christopher Priest and Joe Casada doing Medicine Woman, I'm down. I'll pay I'll pay 10 bucks for that, you know. <laughs> you can't beat that with a stick, you know. So I just have to overcome Mark's cynicism yeah. again yeah. to see if we could make that work and, you know, also see if I can get a yes or no from, from Valiant to well, see if it- they want to do it. As innovative as Valiant's been this uh, last couple of years, I mean, they've been doing a lot of the eight bit games. They've been doing a lot of the QR stuff. I, I, I find it interesting yeah. that you kind of got crickets. I, I think that would be something. It sounds like something that they'd actually be pretty interested in. So hopefully, no, hopefully I think I launched the idea. I lobbed the idea over the fence uh, <laughs> yeah. during the, the 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 convention season, where these guys are are on and off planes and they're oh, yeah. just uh, you know dazed and confused. And that was my bad because. I've been out of it for so long that I just forget all about when is Chicago and when is uh, San Diego and when is New York, those <laughs> types of events. So I really wasn't paying any attention. And chances are it just got lost in the noise, but we'll revisit it when things kind of calm down a little bit. The other thing is, as we outlined the story, the story as outlined, as proposed, as accepted by the uh, by Valiant is way too long to fit in five issues of a comic book. So I've done revisions on it and revisions on revisions and so forth. And I've ended up cutting 20 pages so far. And we may have to do another round of cuts. I'm having a story meeting tomorrow about it. But there may end up being like 20 to 30 script pages that are fully written that end up on the cutting room floor. 
that could either be posted online or be part of the uh, collection yeah. as well. You know, here's a bunch of outtakes. Here's a whole storyline that explains why this character looks or behaves this way. There's a whole story behind that that got cut. That whole storyline had to get pulled because we don't have the pages to cover it. You know, so there may mm. be like a wealth of added features if and when they decide to collect this thing, which again is putting the cart before the horse because the series hasn't started <laughs> publishing yet. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, if, yeah. I, if I know that our, our listeners, um, which I kind of do at this point, I think once this goes live, Valiant's going to receive a whole bunch of emails requesting that song. So... <laughs> I, think, woman. Yeah. I think medicine woman is definitely going to be in the floating around the inboxes of the valiant guys that everyone has <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, well just let them know i want to do it yeah. you know uh we can do it really cheap you know and we may even be able to find some sponsorship to pay for it you know the the, the only real question mark i think the bigger question mark is not valiant the bigger question mark is bright and yeah i don't know that i'd want to do it without him i don't think it'd be as much fun i think i think the yeah. novelty is that the guys that created the comic book are doing the music. Yeah. You know, I think that's the novelty <laughs> of it. And then, you know, I'll get on a plane, fly to New York, and get on my hands and knees if I have to and beg Joe to sing <laughs> on the thing if Marvel will let him. I don't know if they'll let him because, you know, it's a, it's a comp- uh, competing company. But uh, Joe has a great voice, and, and I always had him in mind to sing this thing. <laughs> you just got to tell Mark that it's his turn to bend on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's right. In fact, I should have you guys do. I'll give you his phone number. You call him up all at the same time. And go, stop being a jerk. It's your turn. You know, he's caved, think- you know, three or four times now. It's time for you to cave. And, you know, just play the bass. You know, it's something think, he hates this much, this much has to be a winner. It really does. <laughs> You know, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I can't help but thinking that, you know, if we had that song out there, that there would be people who would be amused to hear a Quantum Woody song, particularly if it's done by the people who actually work on the book. I think that would be kind of fun. So, I don't know. Keep your fingers crossed. We'll see if it works. I'm going out on a limb here, but I, I could say that it may actually make Joe Casada cool again. <laughs> Is Joe not cool? Did he stop being cool? He's kind of the man now, you know? <laughs> He's a he's editor in chief. You think the man in not a good way. No, it's not the, like 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 black people say no, he's no. the man. No, he's the establishment now. It's like Joe said. Oh, he, he's the man as in like the, the 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 man, the the yeah. the, the, the police, the, the politician. Yeah. yeah, he is yeah. the establishment. Joe Casada? Are yeah. you kidding? He is. I mean, he's the editor in chief. He's he's the guy responsible for everything that is wrong uh and maybe some <laughs> of the things and, and, I'm not saying that he's messing things up. What I'm saying is when something goes wrong and someone's not happy, who do you blame? You blame the editor-in-chief for the direction of a yeah, company. Yeah, well, see, Axel is the editor-in-chief now. Oh, that's Axel right. Lonzo. That's true. That is. They move things around. The editor-in-chief. Joe is the creative director. I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? I don't know, but that sounds even... I mean, he's uh, working on movies. Like, that sounds like he's even more responsible for the direction if he's the creative director. <laughs> like I said, I think that means Joe is probably on Hollywood sets right now. Well, you know, and good for him. But I'll tell you, Joe and I go way, way, way back. I mean, we, we go way back to Joe walking in the door at D.C. with a bad haircut, you know. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember who forced foisted. I think Rubenstein foisted him on me. He said, you know, you got to hire this guy. But, you know, Joe and I, way back when, we were friends. We used to hang out, you know, uh, do the wife thing, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, 
we've kind of gone off in different directions and, and you know, we haven't talked in a very long time. Yeah. But so far as I know, you know, we're 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 still on great terms and uh, I assume he's taken by phone calls if I called him. <laughs> I can't imagine under any circumstances Joe Casada as I know him being the man. You know, he uh, has always been amazingly cool, forward thinking, next generation kind of guy, you know, and I thought, well, here here it is. This is this is it. This this guy walks through the door and I go, this is the death of me. This is the next generation walking through the door at DC back when Joe was Joe who, but the guy was amazingly talented, had, had ideas coming out the wazoo, had incredible energy. I can't reconcile the idea of him being like some kind of suit. I don't, I don't buy it, but you know, I think people change, but I, I, I personally, I have a hard time believing it. Now, mind you, when Joe got the editor-in-chief job, I said it out loud, and I think I said it to him, that, you know, you'll never last six months. <laughs> <laughs> I figured at some point I'd get the call, and I'd have to go into New York, and I'd find him at some bar somewhere, slumped over, you know, crying in his beer. <laughs> you know, because at the time, you have to remember, the editor-in-chief job was this meat grinder, where it would just chew you up, or, or it would chew you up, or make you insane. And people that I know who were highly qualified and sought after did not want that job. Uh, I couldn't imagine Joe Casada taking uh, the editor in chief job. So I, I just I, I was absolutely astounded that a he took it. But I really believe you know. Eh, it won't last six months because this is not who Joe is. Joe, Joe's not going to be able to take the pressure. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, I think he may be the longest-serving editor-in-chief Marvel's ever had. I mean, other than Stan, excuse me. Uh, obviously, uh, other than Stan, but he served longer than Archie. He served longer than Shooter. He served longer than DeFalco. I mean, come on. This guy's been, been in the seat for you know a very long time. You know, as far as I'm concerned, good for him. Now, yeah. I'll be happy to call him. We can meet back here in a couple of weeks, and I'll give you the report. He goes, okay, yes, he is a suit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, he's on drama beat, or he's on some kind of drug. You know, I don't know. But the joke aside, I knew never in a million years would I ever confuse that guy with a suit. I, I, I just, I enjoyed him so much. I have so much love for the guy. I love Joe, Joe Casada and, and wish him all the best. I kind of want to... Um go back for a second because we've said a lot about the uh, quantum and woody miniseries that you're going to do but we haven't talked about the you know sort of elevator pitch on what the what what's you've got loaded up for us oh well the concept's very simple it, it, we've done this once before and apparently we're doing it again at one point quantum woody was canceled and then acclaim got a reprieve and they they resumed publishing and we skipped from issue 20 or whatever it was to issue 34 we just came right out with Quantum Woody issue 34, and uh, all the stuff was going on that you know, uh, you know, and it was as if the book had never stopped publishing, you know, and all these changes had taken place with the characters and the situations and so forth. And then after we did that 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 particular issue, then we published issue 21 or whatever. And between, uh, and I'm I'm throwing numbers out. I don't have the numbers in front of me, and, you know. But between issue say 21 and building back up to toward issue 34 we would explain how all the changes came to be. What we're essentially doing is saying, I'm pretty sure this Valiant will number this number one, but it'd be kind of more interesting if they numbered it, I think, like number 231, treating it as if the book had never been canceled. It's 20 years later, so it's kind of in our very near future, say 2016, 2017. So it's 20 years after we last saw the guys. The guys are in their mid-50s now. They are no longer partners. They have found a way to deactivate those control bands so they no longer have to clang them together uh, on a daily basis. So they haven't talked to each other in more than a decade. They had a falling out, which we explain in issue three, I think it is. 
but there was an event that happened that I won't give up here, which caused them to stop, you know, finally break the cord and stop speaking to each other. And since they no longer have to be in each other's company, that, that became easier to do. So Eric has had, I'm sorry, past tense, continued on as Quantum, but he, re- he's, he retired maybe like eight years before this story begins. Quantum has not been seen in public for, you know, almost a decade. Woody stopped being a superhero the minute they stopped palling around together because he was only doing it for Eric in the first place. So uh, Woody went on and had a successful music career and had some other things going on in his life, which I won't give up yet, you know, because they're spoilers. Um, (laughs) So at any rate, Woody is watching the news at one point and there's a big news flash from New York. Woody's living in L.A. and, and Eric's living in New York. And there's a news flash that Quantum has returned. And there's some news footage of the mysterious Quantum who hasn't been seen in, you know, blah, blah years. You know, and he's doing some superhero stuff, whatever. And he's got this new, apparently preteen sidekick that's alongside him. And our Woody, the older Woody, observes this on TV and becomes enraged and thinks, okay, Eric's lost his mind. It's bad enough that he's way too old to be out here swinging around on bat lines and so forth. But recruiting some kid, Woody just thinks is just beyond the pale. So Woody just says, "Look, I, you know, like I don't really care if Eric wants to commit suicide and act stupid and dress, you know, dress up like a superhero. That's up to him. But you can't drag this kid into it. So because he sees this kid, Woody packs up and heads to New York to confront Eric about it. And he, you know, he gets to New York and, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's, in, I guess, I guess that, that this is in the notes. This is in the, the diamond information. He, he gets to New York and he real, and he, he discovers that this kid has uh, taken on his name. The kid is calling himself Woody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so now our Woody is being mocked by the next generation, you know, what we're calling Woody 2. You know, the, 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 the next generation Woody. So basically, our guy is getting a taste of his own medicine. So periodically, he kind of stops and he goes, wow, that's what that feels like. You know, because <laughs> you know, he's, being, he's being mocked now. And Eric has become this kind of Machiavellian puppet master where he is less Batman and more Ra's al Ghul, you know, where he is kind of being mysterious and, and pulling the strings and he's being uncooperative and he's really trying to ignore Woody as much as possible. But Woody's going to be a thorn in his side until Eric gives up this, you know, running around with this kid. So that's basically what brings them together. And what happens is, you know, our guy, our Woody, will stumble into a very complex plan that Eric has set in motion and screw it up, you know, because he just... <laughs> Back in the 80s, Mark and I did a book called Spider-Man versus Wolverine. And at some point, Wolverine is having dinner at this restaurant in Germany with an ex-girlfriend of his. And Spider-Man comes barreling into the restaurant, flips over the room, and lands in three points on Wolverine's table. You know, in full costume. Now, Wolverine is just dressed in, you know, civvies, because he can do that. And Spider-Man looks at Wolverine and goes, yo, there's like 50 armed assassins, you know, ready to shoot you. And Wolverine goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, well, you, you know, you realize, of course, that, you know, you're surrounded and there's no way out. And Wolverine goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, and Spider-Man's like, so I just screwed everything up, didn't I? You know, Wolverine is, yes, he just screwed everything up. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like if Woody had stayed in L.A. and minded his business, well, we wouldn't have a miniseries. But once Woody shows up in New York, he doesn't realize that Eric has gotten much better at doing what Eric does. And um, he is, you know, there are just a, a, a bunch of things in motion that I can't discuss at this point, but that Woody ends up unraveling because he's trying to talk Eric down off the ledge, you know, and trying to convince Eric that he's way too old to be doing this and that he certainly shouldn't be evolving a kid in this. 
So as a result of Woody meddling, things escalated, humor abounds. So that, that's, that's, that's basically the gist of it. Well, you had mentioned, I think last time we interviewed you, uh, you were talking about how you didn't really like coming back to books that you'd already done because you didn't want to be compared, yes. compared to yourself. But uh, yes. here, here you are, back on Quantum and Woody. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes and no. This is a very different book in ways that I can't fully explain now. I probably would not have wanted to do the monthly again because that would have felt more like, okay, now I'm back in the book and what I'm doing now will inevitably be compared to the Acclaim series. This miniseries may be compared to the Acclaim series as well, but it's clearly a different animal. These guys are 20 years older. They're in a different place. Eric is no longer kind of a dilettante sort of working at becoming you know, a great superhero. He is a great superhero now. <laughs> Um, it's a right, whole different right. bag. Woody, of course, is still Woody. He he doesn't. He's older, but not emotionally. He's still a child. So, <laughs> so Woody really hasn't changed all that much. I'd like to think that it's kind of like okay, Denny O'Neill returns to Batman. But what if Denny O'Neill was writing The Dark Knight Returns? Uh, of course, Frank Miller wrote that. But I'm just saying, just for an example, would you really compare? The Dark Knight Returns to Denny's run on Batman, it's a very different thing. So hopefully this is different enough that it's interesting for me and it doesn't present this situation where the fans are going, wow, he's really lost it. Although they may do that anyway. <laughs> you know, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the thing runs in five parts. Part one, not funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they'll be like, wow, this really isn't funny. You know, uh, no, it's really not. Uh, but Humor is on the way. There is humor, but I really didn't stop and go, I need to make part one funnier. I just want, you know, <laughs> this is how the story goes. So let's do the story and not force the humor. Let the humor come when it does. With the return of Quantum and Woody, and, and this goes for both, the, you know, the monthly and the mini that you're, you're working on. Uh, we've kind of seen in stages that this, there's sort of a hype machine that's building. Yeah. With the return of the monthly, there was a huge, you know, reaction to that. And then once you and Mark's names just got mentioned for for this new miniseries, it was pretty much I know at least my comic internet basically blew up. So how do you can you speak to that a little bit? Sort of what what sort of reaction both you and Mark have had to I, I guess the uh, enthusiasm for Quantum and Woody even after all this time? I will tell you, I'm chuckling. I'm, I'm a little shocked because, as I said, I've been a farmer here in Mayberry for, you know, the last, almost the last decade. So I've been really out of the loop. I got to tell you, hammering out the deal was not easy. And again, my thanks to Mark for doing, you know, all the heavy lifting there. But I'm telling you, you know, once we got the signatures, once the ink was dry in the contracts, you know, I actually said to a claim, uh, I did it again. I actually said to Valiant, you know, the guys at Valiant said, I have no idea why you guys are doing this. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, they went to a lot of trouble to drag us out of the old comic book creator's home and bring us back to work. You know, and I can't for the life of me imagine why, you know, and, and apparently we don't know what sales are going to be, but certainly it's paying off in terms of attention inuring to the benefit of Valiant where they're getting they're getting a splash here that I didn't anticipate. I honestly I think there was a couple of times I tried to talk them out of it. I was like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> What are you doing this for? <laughs> you know, 
um, but they said they really wanted to do it. And but honestly, my enthusiasm did not kick in for the project, and I really didn't sign on to the project until Mark and I came up with the gimmick, with the gimmick that the guys are older. Because then I thought, in our our take on Quantum and Woody, we're writing real stories, and well, we're trying to write as real stories as we can. But I was like, I, I need a hook. I need something that's real to me. And what's real to me now is I'm getting mail from. The AARP, which is so freaking weird. And I have to be careful, you know, when I go roller skating or bike riding because, you know, I, I might fall down, you know. And, and, and these are the things that Mark's confronting in his life and that I'm confronting in my life. And I was like, wow, now I know how to write that story. I know how to write this is what these guys are going through. And they're passing the torch to a new generation, to a new quantum and a new Woody in a real way. And I went, okay, well, this makes I think this makes for a real solid story. And then we can layer it with absurdities as we go along. So uh, I, I'm really flattered, impressed, and amazed by the reaction because I really thought Valiant was nuts. They were fairly persistent, and they put up with a lot of crap from me and Mark. You know, going back, asking questions, making demands. We want free toothpaste. You know, I mean, put that in there. You know? um, they really went out of their way to make this happen. I have no idea why. I, I'm just really thankful to them, but I'm also praying to God that when the book comes out, that people like it and that it was worth it, that I don't get the phone call going, you know, you were right. What the hell were we thinking? <laughs> this didn't work at all. Well, you know people are excited when, and I think, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much the Hollywood Reporter even called it the biggest and best surprise to come out of the, the New York Comic Con. I mean, when you're getting that kind, of, that kind of love, that, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that is so strange to me. That is really strange to me. I had no idea that people really wanted this, this you know, these characters to come back, or, or that they wanted Mark and I. Uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, they're going to announce the book, and they're going to go, and we're bringing back the two old fogies. And, you know, and they'll go, oh... You know. <laughs> anyway, so I went down to a comic book shop and I bought a bunch of issues of of the new Quantum and Woody. But I was really kind of amazed by how much product is out there because the last time I was paying any attention to the comic book business, Marvel had just canceled like eight books. One of mine, the crew among them. That was the last time I was actually paying attention to what was going on. Wow. You know, they they had they had this big launch of all these titles. And, you know, right after the first issue shipped, they canceled the whole kit and caboodle and took one of my books down with it. So I thought comics, you know, in terms of the printed 32-page magazine, I thought that this was a dying form and that it was going away. And I went down there and I just saw, my gosh, a variety. I mean, DC's putting out a whole lot of product and Marvel's putting a whole lot of product. And, it, and then there's all this stuff from the independents. IDW is publishing G.I. Joe and Star Trek and, and this other stuff. And I went, and everything, and I wanted to read everything. I wanted to just, okay, I'm not going to pay any bills this month. I'm not paying on the house or anything. I'm going to just load up my car, just back it up and let me just, find out what's been going on in comics because I think I'm almost at the point I've been out of the game long enough that I think I'm almost back to the point where I can enjoy comics like a fan again and not to sound condescending <laughs> or insulting but when you're doing it for a living you read comics in a different way you're reading them like resentful that Chuck Dixon's making all that money <laughs> Damn him, you know. And uh, uh, I know Jeff Johns's aunt. She lives out here in Colorado Springs, you know. So I bump into her from, from time to time. So she and I are very friendly, and I guess she assumes Jeff and I are very friendly. I've only met him once. I said hello, congratulations, nice to meet you. But as a professional, you don't really read 
read comics the way you did when you were a fan. And I'm almost back to the point where I can just pick up a stack of comics and just enjoy them for what they are and not be pissed off that I didn't get the gig. Since you've had such a great response, I mean, kind of an overwhelming response from what from what you've been telling me, um, has this kind of whetted your appetite to work on other things, either for for the big companies or, you know, maybe do a Kickstarter or something like that? You know, I keep hearing this Kickstarter thing, but let's put a pin in that for a second. And we'll come back to that. Yes and no. Believe it or not, it's still a matter of, I've got these five things I'd like to do. If a publisher says yes to one of them, I'm writing comics again. Or if a publisher has an idea of things that they would like me to do, and if it's not like Black Barbecue Grill Man, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm listening. You know, um, you know I, I really feel like, you know, if a company wants me to write The Falcon, I'm happy to write The Falcon, but I would rather do something that has no direct connection to my ethnicity. If I was doing Green Lantern, then I could do The Falcon. You know, I'd feel like, okay, then I'm free to do that. But once upon a time, I was a guy who relaunched Green Lantern. You know, I was a guy that was writing Web of Spider-Man. I was writing Conan. He's pink. I don't know what race he is. He's Sumerian, <laughs> you know. Uh, at some point, you know, once upon a time, I was a, a mainstream writer that was doing mainstream stuff, writing Thor and Hulk and whoever else came down the line. You know, and at some point, the editors, the, the guys that are hiring the talent kind of evolved, moved on, got promoted, whatever the story was. And now there's a new generation of people in there that would come along who were who I either did not know at all or who I knew kind of peripherally. But it wasn't like, you know, the guys that I was most familiar with who who saw me in that light where I was just another writer competing among other writers. But there became a season where there's like four or five years when the phone rang or when the email came, it was for me to work on some, you know, you know Black Lightning or some ethnic character. So I just kind of let it be known. You know, I, I appreciate it, I'm flattered, but I used to write The Ray, which was a coming-of-age story about a white teenage boy. And even The Black Panther, where people think of me as a black, quote-unquote, writer, <laughs> the thing that people liked about Black Panther wasn't so much, you know, I mean, they kind of liked what I did with T'Challa, but what people remark about most is the stuff that I did with the Panthers' State Department handler, this white 30-something kid. And yet I feel like I'm no longer trusted to handle white characters anymore. I don't know why, and I don't know when it happened, but I just kind of got into this place where that's the kind of work that was being offered to me. So I would go, eh, well, no, but hey, look, here's these five things I'd like to do. <laughs> eh, no, not so much. We don't like, okay, see you in 18 months. So I think we're still here. <laughs> you know, We'll see what happens, but I think we're still here. Right. It's like you wouldn't want to be wanted as the writer, but have an asterisk next to your name for all of that. Well, I think there is an asterisk next to my name, but the ironic part about it is it's kind of this, shh, don't tell anybody, you know, because every, <laughs> you know, in every history that I've, I've read of Marvel Comics, there is absolutely no mention that the first black staffer that they hired or black editor that they hired was in 1978 which may be a little embarrassing that it took them that long to hire a black guy. But the first edit, black editor that DC hired was in 1990, which was even more embarrassing. You know, Jeez. I know it was in 1990 because I was the guy, you know, <laughs> uh, but, 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 but that never shows up in anybody's history. And I think it's important. I think it's more important that DC or Marvel realizes that they acknowledge, okay, that, you know, maybe Joe Duffy, Mary Jo Duffy might, might, may have been the first female editor at Marvel Comics. Louise Simonson was certainly, the, you know, maybe the most powerful female editor uh, in comics when she was riding the heyday of uh, X-Men and so forth. I think these are important landmarks. I think Joe Quesada being the, certainly the first Cuban-American editor at Marvel, certainly the first Cuban-American, uh, you know, editor-in-chief, these are important 
milestones. You know, I don't know why this seems to embarrass the companies that they don't want to make note of it. But at the same time, it's an open secret that Priest is black and maybe he has a chip on his shoulder because, you know, he doesn't want to write Black Bunch Man or whatever. You know, it, 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 I, I don't know. You, you know, uh, killing, me, killing me with these names. You know, but I, I, I really, you know, I, you know, I really, you know, I, I really have, it, it's not a chip on my shoulder. It really isn't. I'm, I'm happy to write Captain Spare Ribs if you let me, you know, through the door. You know, can I write Plastic Man? I mean, Nobody cares about Plastic Man. I'll do Plastic Man. So, um, so you know, it, it's one of those things. But it, it, so it's, it's a real interesting dichotomy where, you know, it seems like there is this glass ceiling where everyone is, is kind of keenly aware of my ethnicity while never acknowledging it whenever they write some history of the company, which I find just bizarre. I don't know about everybody else, but I am completely out of Quantum and Woody questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, you got anything, buddy? So, yeah, I think we're, I think we have held up Mr. Priest for pretty much his entire night now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but as always, I think we've gotten like some of the greatest stories and a lot of, to look forward to out of this interview. And I'm, uh, you know, I just wanted to thank him for, you know, thank you for spending your time with us tonight. He said it better than I could guys. have. I appreciate that, guys. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for the interview. That's that's very yeah. kind of you, and, and we'll touch base uh, when we have a published date on the book. Mark is finishing the second issue now. I'm done with the script, but as I said before, the script is looking like the script is going to end up being 130 pages. It needs to be 110 pages, so there's <laughs> the scissors are coming out again. So I've got a story conference tomorrow, do another rewrite, but the script is basically done. And uh, apparently Mark is inking this thing too, which I didn't know, which means he's making like way more money on this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about that. You know, he's getting paid as the penciler and as the inker. Look, please talk about this. You know. Once again, so. that's, a, that's just another... Uh, that's another leverage point for you to get him to play bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Christopher. And I said, I appreciate you spending, uh, you know, when you probably should have been thinking of how to rewrite the story, spending some time with <laughs> us tonight. Yeah. Is he still there? Yeah. I think he dropped. Still there. Hello. It looks like Priest still there. <laughs> uh, I think I he had to go oh, for a story. <laughs> this is how we get to end this. Hello. We get to end it with him hanging up on us. Hey guys, it's Adam just checking in at the end here to let you know that Christopher Priest did not hang up on us. His phone cut out. We called him back. We spoke to him for about another half an hour, but we didn't record any of that. We just said our goodbyes and chit-chat stuff. So I just thought it was a fun ending. I don't I don't want anybody to think that we were hung up on by Christopher Priest. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We had a whole lot of fun doing this, and uh, we will happily, happily do it again, and hopefully the not-too-distant future. See you next week.